0: Thank you for listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our ministry philosophy can be summed up in one statement. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. If you're in the greater Boston area and are wanting to grow in your walk with God, please visit intlfamilychurch.com for more information about our service times. This year, during the World Series, Pastor Jonathan made a friendly wager with Pastor Matthew Barnett of the LA Dream Center that whoever's team won, the other person, would have to preach at the winner's church wearing the other team's jersey. Since the Dodgers lost to the Red Sox, Pastor Matthew will be with us Sunday, December 2nd, during our regular service times. Help us celebrate by wearing your favorite Red Sox gear. Also, we have a very special service coming up on Friday, December 7th at 7.30 p.m. with friend of IFC, Dr. Mary Frances Verallo. Dr. Verallo has traveled the world for over 30 years ministering with a strong prophetic gift. God has used her to move in the miraculous and minister a message of destiny. It will be well worth your time to come out on a Friday night and experience the ministry of Dr. Varello. Parents will have full Kids World available for your kids. Now here's today's message.
1: We've celebrated family, I think something about coming back together as a church, we're more grateful than we've ever been for where we are. And I pray that's your heart as we gather today that you're not just full and ready for family to go home, but that our sense of thankfulness has been renewed. That our th- sense of thankfulness has been uh, enlarged. what God's doing in our life. And I want to encourage you as I did the first service, don't unhook towards the end of the year. What I mean by don't unhook spiritually, we have some amazing services coming up, Pastor Matthew Barnett, Dr. Mary Frances Varallo, just next week, these are going to be probably two of the best services we have all year. And so I want to encourage you, keep your faith out there. Uh, We started this year strong with pastor delivering a message about making room for miracles, and I want to encourage you, there's still room to be made for miracles in our lives. Yeah. Amen. And so there's still time even this year. You say, well, I was believing for it to happen this year. The year ain't over yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, it ain't over yet. Ain't over yet. This, last, uh, this last year, our dream teams gather. I don't know if you're on a dream team or not, but you should be. Uh, it's the way to get connected here at our church. Uh, I love our dream teams uh, because we get to do life together in serving each other. And one of the cool things we do for our dream teams is we host uh, these dream team nights um, throughout the year. And Pastor Verna shared a couple of dynamic messages during these. One of them she talked about living on tiptoe expectation. She talked about why it was important to come uh, to church and live our normal lives on tiptoe expectation that God's going to do something. And I want to challenge you, don't let that word go by. And then just a few weeks ago, she shared another message with our dream teams in our last dream team night, I believe it was early October, and she said, um, "She said it's important that we learn to live with uncommon faith. Yeah. Now for me and my wife, these messages have spoken to us all year long. Make room for miracles, tiptoe expectation, and then living this life with uncommon faith. Yes. I like this statement I heard years ago, and it's this, common people do occasionally what uncommon people do daily. So to live with uncommon faith, it means we're going to be more aggressive than the average person. We're going to be more tenacious with the blessings and the promises we find in God's Word. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You ready? I want to welcome all of our IFC youth. I see a bunch of students in here. Thank you guys for coming today. We have worship with the family. If you see a student today, give them a high five. They'd probably rather be back there in their place, but we're glad you guys Come to hang out with us and welcome home all of our college students. Saw some familiar faces. Uh, We love you. We pray for you even when you're gone. I want to open with uh, one of my favorite stories today. And today you're going to get a bunch of my favorites. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, the woman with the issue of blood. I'd like to read this out of the Amplified. It says, and there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians And had spent all that she had, it was no better, but instead grew worse. And she had heard the reports concerning Jesus, and she came up behind him in the throng of people and touched his garment, for she kept saying, would you say those four words with me? For she kept saying, if I can only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. And immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source, and suddenly she felt in her body... That she was healed of her distressing ailment. And Jesus in this moment recognizing in himself that the power or the anointing, one translation says it, which is the the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. That's what that word power means. That the power proceeding from him had gone forth. And he turned around immediately in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? The disciples kind of chuckled and said, hey, you see this crowd pressing around you from all sides and you ask Who touched you? Still, he kept looking around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what she had done, though alarmed and frightened, she was trembling. She fell down before him and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, I love this part. Your faith, everybody say your faith, your Your trust and confidence in me, which springs from your faith in God, that is what has restored you. That is what has restored you. Go into peace and be continually healed and free from your distressing bodily disease. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. It's, It's never changing. Lord, you said in Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so today, Lord, we put a demand on the anointing for miracles to happen in this house, in our lives. Father, we contend for greatness in every area of our life. We refuse mediocrity. We refuse the average. We refuse the normal. Lord, today we we clear out room for miracles. We're on tiptoes expecting something great today. Father, we choose to be uncommon people. Father, I thank you that you give me boldness as you always do to, to preach and declare your word. As you gave it to me in my study time, let these scriptures and stories illuminate the hearts of the believer today. Let it encourage them, give them faith, give them boldness in their own relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Do you believe that? What was it about this woman? What was it about her in this moment that caused her to get a miracle and nobody else? The truth is, is the Bible says she was catching Jesus as he was passing by if you read the verses before there was a a guy named Jairus and he came to Jesus and my daughter's sick she's at the point of death would you come and Jesus said let's go man let's do this I got this I think that's how Jesus talks he's always upbeat he's always got energy And when you come to him, it should energize you. And so they begin to walk towards Jairus' house. And it says there was a crowd thronging, pressing, pushing. One translation says they were so close, it was almost suffocating him. But yet one woman out of the 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, maybe 10,000 people that were there, only one woman received a miracle that day. Why was that? What was special about her? What made her different than everybody else? Maybe I would suggest that it was her speech. This translation said that she kept on saying, if I could just get to Jesus, I shall be made whole. Maybe it was a coincidence that she just happened to be there. Jesus just happened to be there. I believe that it was something different, that it wasn't coincidence, but rather it was divine destiny. Well, how did that destiny get there? She pulled it in with her words, and she walked out of her house and went and apprehended the anointing that she needed. She put a demand or a, 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 an expectation on the presence of God that was there. So what did she do that everybody else didn't do? I believe it was multiple things. It was her speech. It was her willingness to press through the crowd and go after something, but I really believe that it was, she was fed up. You ever felt fed up? Any of you feel fed up today? You ever feel fed up like, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you ever gotten fed up where you're fed up because there's never enough? Not enough bills, not enough money to pay the bills? Not enough money to pay the mortgage payment. Not enough money to put food on that table. Not enough money to take your family on vacation. Have you ever got fed up? See, I believe this is where we have to find ourselves as believers in this day and age. Whereas when we're fed up with living normal lives. Yeah. where we're fed up with just going about the humdrum of life, this rat race, this wheel. And we get tenacious yeah. about putting a demand on the anointing that belongs to us. They hear me say this, when I talk about putting a demand, it's not about bossing God around, it's about declaring what belongs to us through our relationship that was made happen through Jesus. Yeah. So when I say that today, when I say put a demand, I'm talking about access it, yeah. take it, it belongs to you. You know, as we study the gospels, it's evident that there was tons of individuals. The book of Mark says there wasn't enough pages to write down all the miracles that happened in Jesus' time. But there were certain stories, and we're going to read some today, that talk about people receiving miracles, people receiving uh, their healing or their needs met because of one thing that separated them from everybody else. They knew how to access the power of God. I grew up in a Pentecostal home where we went to church and we took notes because we were taking notes because we were expecting God to speak to us. I see some of you taking notes today. I love note takers, but it tells me you came with a greater expectation than those that aren't taking notes. You came expecting God to say something. And it was so important that you got your notebook or you got your iPhone. I'll say, if God is going to speak, I'm going to be willing to write it down and listen to what he tells me. That says expectation. I love people that come to church early that they actually come before the worship is over. You know why? Because that says something to me and it says something to the Holy Ghost. It says that I want to get something that I know I can only get if I'm in that type of service on time. You know, when you walk, I'm just going to preach to you for a moment. When you walk into church late, you're telling everybody else and the Holy Ghost, this ain't that important to me. Can I say that? Because we do it all the time. I'm guilty of it at times. We just come like it's casual, not knowing that maybe today Jesus is in the house and we could be the one that gets the miracle. So what will separate you in this end time season from you getting a miracle? It's a persistent, bulldog, tenacious, aggressive, on-demand pressure that you're going to get what belongs to you. I love this because this is who we've been called to be. Let me tell you something. These aren't fictitious characters in a storytell book. These are real people with real issues. And the truth is, is these stories were written for you and for me to energize us to say, if you'll do it for her, you'll do it for me. And so today I pray that you leave pumped. I pray that you leave challenged, encouraged to go after what belongs to you, that you would put a demand on the power of God in your life. I have this thing at the house that's connected to our TV. It's called cable. <laughs> you guys have cable? Yeah. It's okay. You can raise your hand. I'm not going to judge you. you have, anybody have cable? Yeah. All the teenagers are like, we got cable at our house. Yeah. You know one of the things I love about cable is on-demand TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love on-demand? I don't have to mess with the nonsense. Yeah. No commercials, no breaks. And guess what? If I want to watch 10 shows one after another, I can do them because they're on-demand. Yeah. They're in a box. And I have a controller that gives me access to watch every season of Survivor that's ever existed. I've seen them all. But I like watching the reruns. You know what? We have been given the same gift from Jesus Christ. The anointing, the power of God, the the, the burden removing, yoke destroying power that causes miracles to happen. It's on demand in our life. Let me ask you a question. Are you still watching reruns of what God did yesterday? Or are you on demanding the presence to show up today? I'm going to give you a few tools, okay? I'm going to make it super practical today because I feel like this is where I live my life. I mentioned to you before, I'm from Alabama. I need it on a low scale here. And so I'm going to give it to you just like I was given to it. Here's how you put a demand or or access the power of God in your life. You ready? How many of you need a miracle? How I many of you need, like, God to show up significantly, like, soon? I'm going to give it to you right here. Number one, if you're going to put a demand on the power of God, you'll have to talk differently than everybody else. Those that surrounded, are those that we find in the Gospels, many times it says that Jesus declared back to them, you got this because you had faith, because you declared it, because you said it with your mouth. And the truth is, is if you're going to receive a miracle and separate yourself from everybody else, it's because you've chosen to talk differently than everybody else. See, your words, they're indicators of your faith. Or they're indicators of your lack of faith. Do you listen to what you say? Have you ever said something and it came out of your mouth? You're like, wait a second, why did I say that? That didn't have any faith apart of it. That was all fear-based. The truth is, is the more that we get full of the word of God and then when it comes out, we recognize, oh man, that was faith coming out of me. Or wait a second, that doesn't sound like God. Let me ask you this. When you think about that miracle that you raised your hand that you said you need, how do you speak about it? What words do you use when you talk about your marriage that needs help or your kids that need help or your finances or your physical body? That needs help? What words do you use? Are they facts or are they faith? I want to declare to you today that as you speak faith, miracles are coming closer to your house. As you declare faith, they act as a magnet and draw God's power to you, not away from you. See, it was a fact that this woman for 12 years had been sick. It was a fact that she'd been to every doctor in town. It was a fact that she was broke and had nothing else. But the Bible says she continually spoke faith, not the facts. See, the woman with the issue of blood, she spoke what she believed. Look at this in Mark chapter 5, verse 28, out of the New King James, it says this. For she said, she spoke, she used her words. If I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. That right there is how she got her miracle. She declared it out of here, and then it came out of here, and her miracle started coming to her. Look at this next verse in the the Berean study Bible. I love this. For she kept saying, she kept saying, if I only could touch his clothes, I will be healed. She kept saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. If I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch his clothes, if I could just touch him, if I could just get there, if I could just get to Jesus, Jesus is going to be here. He's done miracles for other people. If I could only touch his clothes, She kept saying it on repeat. What's the thing that you're saying on repeat? Or what's the thing you need to be saying on repeat by faith? Let's look at this next one. I love this one. It says out of the ISV, because she had been sane. Listen, this wasn't a one-time event for her. She locked in that Jesus had the power that she needed to change her situation. And so she said with her mouth, If I could just get to Jesus for she kept saying over and over if I could just get to Jesus if I could just get to Jesus for she had been saying are you hearing me your words are the power that you need that help pull the anointing, that help pull the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, that fills that gap of where you need that miracle in your life. The first step to receiving miracles and putting a demand on the presence of God, accepting what belongs to us, is how we talk. I was thinking about this, and I wrote these down. To receive a miracle, you have to demand the impossible. You have to access it. How do I do that? By my words. To receive a miracle, you have to put a demand on the unthinkable. Yes. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. He says, if you can't speak it, Josh, you truly don't believe it. But if you'll speak it, you will soon believe it. You know, there's some things that we do by faith. Actually, our whole life is supposed to be lived by faith. And so how do we do that? We speak things until we believe them. I don't believe I'm healed. Well, then just start finding the scriptures in the word that talks about Jesus healing other people and say, if I could just get to the Jesus they had, I'll be healed. Guess what? You're now one step closer to your healing. Your words have so much power, they are the gateway to your miracle. Listen, when my wife was six years old, I've shared this with you. The doctors gave their mother a fact. She's got leukemia. But her mother chose to speak faith, saying things like this. My daughter's cancer free and every cell in her body functions as God created it to function. That's a powerful statement. Well, you know what the facts say? I don't care what the facts say. I need to know what my faith says. The facts were, we were in debt, 60 something thousand dollars with no job and no money. And the facts were calling me on the phone, telling me every day that I owed them money. But faith said, our cars are paid in full. We have money in the bank. We're fully funded and resourced to do everything we've been called to do. We live on the overflow, not the undertow. Are you guys hearing this? Facts state things to you. You have to retort to them with your faith. Facts may say that your kids are running from God and that they're a lost cause. But faith says your kids are full of faith and full of power. My kids hear the voice of God and the voice of the stranger. They do not follow. Facts may say that your marriage is rocky and it's on the downslope. But faith says my marriage is strong and passionate. And it's a testimony of God's goodness to those around me. Facts may say you're a nobody going nowhere. Faith says I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people. It says that favor goes before me. Well, it's just, just saying things, going to figure it out. No, saying things causes you to begin to believe it. Yeah. And when you line your words up with the ever, the ever source here, the, 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 the never-ending source of power, yes. your words connect you to that. Yes. To put a demand on the power, you have to talk differently than you did before. The second thing you have to do is to receive your miracle or to put a demand on the anointing. You're going to have to have a do-whatever-it-takes attitude. A do-whatever-it-takes attitude. What does that mean, whatever it takes? I don't understand that. I know, I'm just asking you, what what would it take for you to be debt-free? What would it take for you to have your marriage restored? What is it that God's asked you to do? Yes. Let me remind you, this is a partnership. You do the possible, God does the impossible. I make a choice to do whatever it takes to make the possibilities seem available, and He turns the impossibilities... Around for me and around for you. So let me ask you, what lengths are you willing to go to get your miracle? What lengths would you be willing to go to obtain the promises of God that you found in the book? I like what Les Brown says. If you don't know Les Brown, you should go to YouTube. Les is an amazing motivational speaker. And he says this He says, You gotta be hungry. (laughs) I'll preach over here. He said, You gotta be hungry. And I think that may be the problem with some of us is we're not hungry anymore. We go to church and it's just church. But there used to be a day when we got saved, we came in, we were hungry. Let me ask you, how hungry are you for the power of God? Because when you're hungry, you come early. You stay late, you take notes, you shout down the preacher, you raise your hands, you get on your knees, you press in when other people are pulling back because you need something that they may already have. This is something that's missing right now in our society is this hunger, this, this desire to go to another level. We've gotten complacent and we've gotten comfortable and that's where the enemy wants to keep us. Just sick enough, just broken off. Your marriage just scattered just enough. Your kids just distant enough. But that's not what God's word says. He says when we get in the word, what we find belongs to us. How hungry are you to get out of debt? How hungry are you to get your marriage straight? How hungry are you to get over the top in every area of your life? Whoo, that's good preaching. Listen, don't be worried about what everybody else is doing. If you're hungry, come eat. Me and my wife, were we, we left a church that we were on staff at, and we, we took a little bit of a break and just just wanted to get married and enjoy coming to church and not be pastors. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure when you show up Pastor Josh, Pastor this, Pastor this, so I was like, dude, I'm just Josh today. I want to come and get fed. And I remember we just had the baby, and we started going to this church, and we sat in the back because that's where they put all the babies, you know, in case they cry. They want to be able to escort you out. And then we sat in the back with the stroller, and it it was bad. I didn't like it. Because you know what? During worship, I'm used to sitting right down here on the front row, where there wasn't anybody between me and the worship team, just me and them and Jesus. And now I'm sitting in the back, and I'm watching all the ushers get up and walk around the whole service. I'm like, what are they doing? How many times can you change the heat and air conditioning? I I was distracted. And then, you know, people would get up and go to the bathroom and you'd lean over your wife and I'd lean over her like, didn't that dude just get up a few minutes ago and go to the bathroom? <laughs> and then the person in front of you, they're making kind of racket. They're clicking their pen. Or they're tapping their toe. Or the kid's playing on a cell phone. It's just distracting. And we both look at each other like, this stinks. Yeah. This ain't how we want to come to church. And so we made the decision. I said, I'm never sitting in the back again. We're going to sit right down front again. So I came down. We sat in the front row. Because I was hungry. I was hungry for God to speak to me. I didn't want to sit anywhere else but right here where Nick's sitting. And the ushers came and said, You can't sit there. That's for the staff. And I said, Well, where can I sit? And they said, You can sit right here on the second row. For three years, we sat in those seats right where you sit every single Sunday. I was as close as I could get. I grew up Pentecostal. I told you, that my grandmother used to say, We sit down front under the spout where the glory comes out. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. When you get hungry, you'll come early and you'll find the seat that puts you closest to the anointing. You'll raise your hands and worship and maybe get out of your seat and get on your knees because you need something that you ain't never had before. Let me ask you this How hungry are you for this miracle? This woman was desperate. She pressed through the crowd, she wasn't even supposed to be outside. She was hungry for a change. She was so hungry, she risked her own life. There's another story in Luke chapter 5, in verse 17, it says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were sitting there. Think about that. How many people just come and sit to church? Oh, I'm just sitting here. God want to do something. He'll do it. He's just sitting there. Everybody say, sitting there. Don't just come to church and sit here. For they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Listen to this: and the power of the Lord was with Jesus. And what are they doing? Sitting there. The power of... Oh, this is so good. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick, and they just sit there. But here comes some men carrying a paraplegic on a mat and tried to take him into the house because they were hungry, hungry for a miracle. Lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they got even hungrier. And they went up on the roof and they lowered him down after tearing the tiles. They lowered him down on his mat, through the tiles in the middle of the service in front of those that were just sitting there. Listen, faith has action to it. You can say it all day long, but it's until you get up and you do something with that hunger, that's where the anointing gets transferred. That's where the power gets transferred. These men went over and above what everybody else is doing. Jesus was there to heal people and people are just sitting there. And all of a sudden, here comes these tiles and this man comes down. I think that Jesus was energized. Because why? Because he put a demand on the anointing. He was willing to do something that everybody else wasn't doing. He was hungry for a touch from Jesus. I think about the lengths that me and my wife have gone in different seasons in our life where we got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've shared this story many times about us getting out of debt and God supernaturally erasing our debt and, 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 and financially setting us up and in and, and our house, just, just crazy miracles. But what most people don't know is they don't know what we did to do the possible while God was doing the impossible. You know, we got married, my wife had no debt and I had a lot of debt. And she said, we're going to have no debt together. And I said, well, I got lots of debt. She said, we're going to get on this. And so we, we enrolled in a class called Financial Peace University at our church. We host that class here, by the way. And we, we decided we're going to go get some help because we're willing to do whatever it takes to get out of debt. And I couldn't get out of debt on my own, so we're going to go get some help. And so that Tuesday night, we were driving to church, and some friends of ours, they called us, and said, hey, we're, we're coming over. We're bringing food. So I said, well, don't come to our house. We're going to church for Financial Peace University. What's that? I said it's a class, it helps you get out of debt, it helps your budget, and schedule your stuff, blah, 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 blah. And they said, Well, that sounds like a waste of time. You don't need that class. Let's go eat pizza. <laughs> listen, I, I didn't want to eat pizza. I wanted to get out of debt. Yeah. In the next week, they would call and say, Hey, you guys want to hang out on Tuesday? I said, listen, we got this class. This class, how many times are you going to go to this class? I said, so it's 12 weeks long, three months. You're going to go every week for three months? I mean, can't you just read the book at home? I said, we're hungry to get out of debt. We're willing to do whatever it takes. Those same people were in debt. I was willing to do whatever it took for us to get out of debt. The truth is, is we began to budget weekly. I hate budgeting. Who likes budgeting? Nobody likes budgeting because it tells you this amount of money is all you got left but we budgeted against what I wanted to do. I was willing to do something different because I never lived off a budget. If there was money in the bank, we had money to spend. But in this season, I was tired of being in debt. We got up every day during that season for three straight years and declared God's word over our financial situation. I printed my credit report and I had it in a, in a, in a, in a folder with sticky notes. And I called every one of those creditors and asked them to forgive my debt. And most of them laughed at us. And I began to declare God's word over those situations. I repented and I got in agreement with my wife and we put scriptures all over the house and we quoted scriptures, Believe God, and we spoke over that. Paced the floors, morning, noon, and night. This time I wasn't working a full-time job so I didn't have anything else to do but speak the word over the debt. Find the scriptures. I was hungry to get out of debt. And then I would take any and every job that came along. I said I'd take any and every job that came along. Amen. I worked as much as I could, as much as I could find. I'd get a job for two or three days doing drywall work. And I'd get a call and the guy would say, I want you to come paint these four apartments. And I'd get up and drive to San Diego at four in the morning and I'd paint those apartments. Someone would call and say, we need help moving. We pay you X amount of dollars an hour. so I'll be there. What time? And we took extra jobs and extra things. We went over. Why'd you do all that? Because I was sick and tired of being in debt. And I wasn't going to have God say, well, you ain't doing anything. Prove it. You're saying it, but you're not doing anything. We made a decision. We're going to do whatever it takes. Went through our house and began to sell things. I began to ask other people, you want to sell that car? I'll sell it for you. We know anything about selling cars? No, but I think I could sell your car. And all of a sudden, I start selling cars for other people that didn't know how to use eBay, didn't know how to use Craigslist. And all of a sudden, our debt snowball is starting to roll because we were being diligent. And then we got a hold of this, this story of Kenneth Copeland saying, when he, when he was in debt, he didn't have anything to give. And he prayed, Lord, you said you'd give seed to the sower. I want to be a sower, but I ain't got no seed. The Lord said, you got buttons on your shirt, don't you? He said, he looked down and he took that button and he popped it off. He said, I don't need that one. That one will be fine. I can wear this shirt, tuck it in. And he put that button in the envelope and so did his seed. That sounds crazy. It is crazy. But when you're desperate, you'll take desperate measures. He said that he went to a church and they gave him the, the, little, the little bulletin with a pencil in it. It was a gift to him. He's like, He gave us a bulletin and a pencil. And during the offering, they'd say, Were you gonna make your tithes and offerings? I didn't have anything. And the Lord said, You got a pencil you didn't have 10 minutes ago. And he'd take that pencil and he'd put it in the envelope. And he would sow it as seed. Yeah. Me and my wife got a hold of that concept. We started sowing everything we could find, giving things away, sowing at every cost. Every time the plate came by, we begin to sow, saying, Lord, you are our provider. Yes. This is better used as seed than it is as savings. You know, I pray that we come into this realization again of seed time and harvest. As a church, listen to me, because seed time and harvest, it's never gonna change. As long as you sow, it's coming back. I'll say it over here. Every time you sow, guess what? It's a principle of the word of God. You sow it and it comes back to you. I'm looking forward to the days when our accounting department comes into our executive leadership team and says, look at all these buttons in the offering. Look at all these pencils that came in. And it won't be a laughable moment. It'll be an exciting moment because it says somebody got hungry enough to put a seed in the offering. Somebody was hungry enough to stretch their faith to do whatever it takes. Come on. Come on. I admire people that go the extra mile. That go the extra mile to receive something from God. People that drive long distances to church. Church. We have people that drive two hours to come here. Why? Because they're hungry. Because they're hungry. We have people that commit to to dream teams to work once a month, all three services for a full weekend from 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Why is that? Because they're hungry. Because they're desperate for change. They're desperate for a miracle. And that's the way they're making room for their miracle. Let me ask you, how hungry are you? To what are you willing, links are you willing to go to, to receive what God has for you? Here's what you're going to have to do is put aside what everybody else is doing and get a new trajectory for your life. This woman wasn't concerned about anybody but herself. Sometimes it's okay to be selfish. I've given you permission to be selfish today. Be selfish that you go the distance to get what God has promised you, whether anybody else get what belongs to them or not. The third principle I want to tell you about today is you have to be willing to look foolish. You have to be willing to put your pride and ego aside and maybe even look a little bit foolish. I read this statement years ago and I wrote it down and I'll give it to you. I don't remember where I heard it, so I'll take the credit for it. (laughs) Average people will stay sick, broke, and stuck because they're more concerned about their reputation than they are their breakthrough. Wow. That's good. Pastor Verna talked about living an uncommon life. Extraordinary. Yeah. Listen to this. The average person will stay sick, broke, and stuck in life because they're more concerned about their reputation and what others may think of them than they actually are the breakthrough that awaits them. Yeah. To receive what God has for us, we have to put aside what may seem foolish, Or look, silly. John chapter 2 is a perfect story of Jesus, his disciples, and his mom going to a wedding. And she recognizes that the anointing is there. It's on Jesus to to perform the first miracle. She goes to him and says, hey, they're about out of wine. And he says, what's that got to do with me? She goes to the disciples and said, he ain't paying attention, but you should. And whatever he tells you to do, you need to do it. Moments later, he says, get the ritual water pots, get those clay pots that they use to wash their hands and their feet and go fill those things up with water and then take them and serve them to the, to the king of the wedding, to the head of the wedding. Today, that would be the equivalent of me and you saying, hey, hey Jesse, let's go get those five-gallon buckets, those Home Depot buckets in the shop and let's fill those up. Amen. That's faith. It's foolishness. To think that you're going to take this, fill it with water, and make a a humiliation of yourself in front of a whole wedding party. But that was the catalyst for the miracle. Sometimes God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. Isn't that what the Word says? It takes someone saying, I really don't care what others think about me. I'm just going to do what he tells me to do. Let me ask you what's he told you to do that goes against the grain of what everybody else is telling you to do? What is it that he spoke to you in your quiet time and your prayer time, that you know you need to do, but you're afraid to do it because of what somebody else, even in your own family, may think? Most people, the average people, will stay sick, broken stuck, because they're more concerned about their reputation than they are their breakthrough. Story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 is a man whose skin is falling off. He has what they call leprosy and this disease, your body parts begin to deteriorate and literally fall off and he hears about this prophet in another land and he goes and tells the king of who he's serving, can I go? There's this prophet, I probably could get healed and he says, yeah, go, I'll give you a letter and he loads up all this money. The Bible says he loads up gold and silver and then all his fancy clothes to give us a gift to the prophet so he could receive something. And he gets there and the prophet said, all you got to do is just go dunk in the Jordan seven times. And he throws a fit. I have a four-year-old. He throws fits all the time. I think he threw a four-year-old fit. What are you talking about? I came all this way. I've got all this money. You want me to go take a, dirt, a dirty bath in that filthy river? He stomps off. The Bible says he leaves and his assistant says, hold hold on, wait a second. We've come all this way. What are you concerned about? Yeah. You were going to pay every, about a, every amount of money you could and all he asked you to do was maybe look kind of foolish and just dunk in the river and then it hits him. Maybe it doesn't cost me anything but my pride. Let me ask you, maybe your pride is the only thing keeping you from your miracle. I know for me, many times in the services that we have, the Lord tells me, Josh, get on your knees in worship right now. And I'm like, I, why would I do that? I'm not going to do that. Roland's watching. What's Roland going to think? I'm not going to do that, Lord. There's my friend Matthew and Anthony. I mean, if I do that, they're all watching. He said, you said you needed something that they didn't already have. Maybe they already have it, but you needed it. Maybe your miracle is in the form of possibly looking foolish truth is is probably not probably never going to make you look foolish it actually would cause you to take a step up in your faith i love watching my friend anthony worship because it tells me his worship is more important than your opinion of him a few years ago I was at a church in Louisiana and, and I just come on staff there and that first week I sat on the front row and during worship, man, there was this guy. He came out the aisle and he started dancing all up and down the front of the church. Drove me nuts. Like, dude, what is wrong with this guy? I mean, he's moonwalking, shaking, doing stuff. I mean, it was it was like Michael Jackson tearing up the floor right here, and I was so distracted. He was, I kid you not, man. He'd wear these slick shoes and he danced around to the point where he was sweating. And then he reached his pocket he pulled out a towel. I'm like, who brings a towel to the worship service? <laughs> he didn't care what anybody thought of him. Listen to me, this is important. The other two are way important. This is even more important. Listen to me. I, heard, I was watching him one Sunday, frustrated. I'm thinking, what is wrong with this guy? He's out there, he's a fanatic. And then the Lord said to me, a fanatic is just someone who loves me more than you do. A fanatic is just someone who's more into it than you are because maybe they have a need that you don't have because they're hungrier than you are and they don't care what anybody thinks. And I remember a few weeks into this, this guy dancing around and just bugging the fire out of me and I couldn't worship and the pastor called him up on stage one time during worship. come up here Richie and tell him your story. And Richie got up there and began to declare about how he was a drug addict and God set him free. And he said, ever since then, he said, I, I got nothing else to do but dance because I'm free. Amen. It changed my perspective. Let me ask you, because we talk about this a lot in our circles of, would you, well, if, you, if you knew you were free, would you dance? If you knew you'd be free, would you sow that seed? Yeah. I mean, if you knew you are free, would you, would you get down front and, and pull on the anointing? Would you pull on the pastor? Yeah. On. Because I think sometimes we say, if it happened, yes, I would do that. And it's that actual act before the miracle comes that draws the miracle to you. Some of you waiting to dance till you feel better. You should start dancing now. Some of you wait to sew until you can afford it. You better sew now because you can never afford it. Get outside of yourself. Forget about public opinion. Press through the crowd, rip the roof off the place. Dance it up on Sundays if that's what you need to do to get what you need. It's time that we as a church cheer those on that are going the extra distance. Instead of speculating and being spectators, I wonder why they're dancing like that. I wonder why they act that way. Maybe they need something that you already have. Maybe that's their faith being activated. Bow your heads with me. I pray that you were blessed today. Luke 18, 8, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it says this, he says, When the Son of Man comes and returns, will he find persistent faith on the earth? Jesus is looking for somebody who's willing to get out of the boat, to press through the crowd, to rip the roof off their place. Blind Bartimaeus was told to shut up and he said, I'm not gonna shut up, I need my sight. I pray that you're stirred today to the point where you'll make a shift in your words and how you speak about what you need you'd make a shift in your approach and you'd be willing to do whatever it takes. I pray that you make a shift in your heart that you're so humble to say, Lord, I know it's only you that can do it. So whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. This is our year. It's not over. This is your year. It's not over. Continue to make room for miracles and watch God show up even before the end of this year. Maybe you're here today and you seems new to you because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what belongs to you through this relationship with him. Greatest miracle of all is not getting out of debt. It's not getting healed. It's not getting your marriage restored. The greatest miracle of all is knowing that you have eternal life and knowing that you have all these blessings available to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's super simple. The Bible says all that call out shall be saved. So today I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to this miracle. Maybe you're here today and say, I need Jesus in my life. I won't embarrass you, I won't make fun of you, I won't even ask you to stand up, but would you just raise your hand, say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Jesus in my life. I got you, yes, 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 awesome. Anybody else you'd say, include me, I need need Jesus, I'm looking for a fresh start, yes ma'am, got you. I see you in the back, yes, absolutely. Yes, I got you. Anybody else? Say, man, I want to join those. I'm ready to go. I'm on a new path today. Yes, I got you right here in the middle. I see you, young lady. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Say, man, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for change. I need Jesus' help. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Maybe here today and you're at the end of your rope. You're fed up. Choose Jesus. Anybody else? Right here. Yes, ma'am. I see you. I got you, young lady. Yes, ma'am got you yes ma'am tons of hands going up today miracles happening right here yes ma'am I got you yes sir oh man would you do this would you just stand with me right where you're at just stay in this attitude of prayer and let's do this together go ahead stand up right where you're at let's do this together whether you raised your hand or whether you should have raised your hand Maybe you're like me. Maybe you prayed this prayer a hundred times. Let's pray it together with the dozens that are accepting Jesus. Say, Father God. Father God. Come on now. Say it like you mean it. Say, Father God. Father God. Today, today, I believe, I believe that, Jesus that Jesus died for me. Died for me. And I believe, I believe that you raised him from the dead. Him from the dead. So, I so I could be back in relationship with you. Relationship with you. My, father, My Father, today I choose you. I choose your plans. I choose your blessings. I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor.
0: Thanks for listening. To stay connected, check out intlfamilychurch.com or follow us on Instagram. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. One of the easiest ways you can help us do that is simply by sharing this podcast and connecting with us online. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, and sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.